I'm excited to introduce today's conversation with Vina Rao, Atlanta-based author of Purple Lotus. It's won all kinds of awards. The 2021 winner of the American Fiction Award, Rao was Georgia Author of the Year Award finalist in 2021 also. She's an award-winning finalist in women's fiction for the 2021 International Book Awards. Rao is also an award-winning finalist for multicultural fiction in the 2021 International Book Awards. Just listen to what Newsweek magazine has to say. Rao's resonant novel is an ode to the value of personal dignity and the importance of being true to oneself that carries on long after the final chapter. Kirkus Reviews calls it a moving and polished novel that highlights Rao's literary promise. Rao's novel is about women empowering other women. And I invite you to listen to my conversation with Vina Rao. Join me on an adventure, a literary romp through India. Meet me at the corner of patchouli and chai, where books, cinema, and conversation collide. I'm Lovelace Cook. I'll be your tour guide. Welcome to Bollywood and Books. I am so excited to be able to talk with you today about Purple Lotus. Just a very first question that may seem a little off the wall, but tell me what your childhood home was like. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up in a small coastal southern city called Mangalore in India. We grew up in a traditional family, you know, mother, father, big brother, younger sister. We had a lot of, we were a close family, a lot of love, but it was a very traditional family. We grew up, you know, with a lot of wonderful books around us, a lot of English authors and American authors. And so I fell in love with make-believe world of books pretty early in life. And uh, so when I was 12, I declared that I would grow up to become a world-famous writer. I also started writing detective stories with American detectives, American protagonists, for my Indian classmates to read during lunch. And so it was my love of creative writing that got me into journalism in the first place. So I grew up to become a journalist. I worked as a journalist. And then we moved to the US in 2001. And I continued to work as a journalist. And then I launched a newspaper of my own. And I was so consumed with the challenges of running the newspaper that I didn't have any time for creative writing. And neither did I have time to read fiction. And so that took a backseat. My creative writing took a backseat. There are a couple of things I wanted to, you know, just say a little bit about you. Yes, you are a journalist by profession, the founding editor and publisher of NRI Pulse. Is that correct? That's correct. And yes. it's not only is it a popular Atlanta-based Indian American newspaper, I read some of your interviews, the articles with authors that you included there and found that there were intriguing news points and and announcements, other things that were on your website for the newspaper. Let's go back. You were the first Indian woman to have a newspaper outside of India. 
That's pretty remarkable. (laughs) You know, that was just on a whim. I just woke up one day and decided that, you know, I didn't have any money, no backing, no family, nothing. I just woke up one day and I decided that I would be the one. You know, the market was full of magazines back then in 2006. But there was no newspaper that served the South Asian communities of Georgia and around the U.S. as well. And so I thought, you know, I have a background in journalism. I know the community well. So why shouldn't I be the one to, you know, fill the uh, gap, fill the need? And so I decided to just launch a newspaper. I went to businesses, local businesses that I knew. It was wishful thinking, I suppose, but I felt like they would support me. And they did, you know. And so the first few uh, months, the first six months or a year, I should say, went really well. Call it beginner's luck. But after that, you know, recession hit in 2008 and things got difficult. But, you know, there's one thing I think many of us immigrants learn, creating a new life for themselves, for ourselves uh, in a new country, is that uh, you have to persist. You're going to fail because you're going to you start, you, you know, you start from bottom, from the bottom, right? Uh, you're restarting your life in a new country and you're bound to fail. But you have to persist through the failure and you have to keep your hope alive. And so, yeah, we sailed through the difficult times and we are now a brand name. We are very popular in the South, not only in the South, but also throughout the U.S. I'm not surprised at all because it, it looks marvelous. And Thank you so I, much. I want to just say, first of all, congratulations on that. And I want to mention Purple Lotus, which I have right here. Beside me, I know you have the cover behind you. You have received tremendous awards for this debut novel, which is extraordinary. I mean, congratulations. Really marvelous. You told me that you were the winner of the She Writes Press and Spark Press Toward Equality in Publishing, the STEP Contest. I just commend you. That's just one award. (laughs) I was reading about all of these awards and thought, holy Christmas, you know, Georgia Author of the Year finalist in 21, winner of the American Fiction Award in 2021, award-winning finalist for women's fiction for the International Book Awards in 2021, and also the award-winning finalist for multicultural fiction and for the 2021 International Book Awards. This is no small achievement. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But, you know, it's been a long journey. I Uh, want to hear about that. Let's talk about that journey. Yes. You know, it took me 10 years and multiple, multiple drafts to write Tara's story, because uh, although I'm a journalist, I did not know much about creative writing. I don't have an MFA or any fancy residencies. I've never attended a writing workshop in my life. So I taught myself to write fiction just by reading um, other fiction in the similar genre. I read a lot of immigrant fiction like Jhumpalahari, Chimamanda Adichie, and a lot of other authors and paying careful attention to character development and 
plot progression and style until I evolved as a fiction writer. But of course, uh, we all know that the publishing industry works in set ways. It's not open to change. And I'm sure we all have the same experience. All of us authors have the same experience, right? It is run by a certain kind of people that cater to a certain kind of market. And so my manuscript was rejected multiple times over the years. And of course, each time I saw a rejection in the email, it felt like a personal blow. I've gone to bed crying several times. Somewhere at the back of my head was this little voice that reminded me of my childhood dream. Remember, I I, uh, mentioned a while ago that when I was 12, I had declared to the world that I would grow up to become a famous author. So that was a promise I had made myself, and I wanted to keep that promise. So I held the childlike belief that my book would eventually get published. So finally, in 2019, yeah, I think it was 2019, I entered the, I happened to come across the Shearites Press and Spark Press Step Manuscript Contest, which is open annually to women of color. I came upon this contest on the She Writes Press Twitter feed. So I, you know, I submitted my manuscript and forgot about it because, you know, I was so used to seeing rejection letters. But imagine my shock and joy when I realized, you know, when I was informed by my publisher, uh, who is an incredible, incredible person. Her name's Brooke Warner. She informed me that my manuscript won the contest. It was one of the most important and joyful moments of my life. And of course, uh, the book released last fall, in the fall of 2020. And it has resonated with readers and it has done pretty well. And uh, I hope this is the beginning of, of my literary journey. I think it's great and it does resonate. It's a marvelous book. And just the character development is wonderful. And I love the way that you structured the book with timelines that shift to go Mm -hmm. from Tara's early life to present day, essentially the present day, and how you tied up. And I don't want to divulge anything, but the use of the doll in the early parts of the book. And I, I saw someone had mentioned your Mark Twain quote that nothing that grieves us can be called little. By the eternal laws of proportion, a child's loss of a doll and a king's loss of a crown are events of the same size. Right. I think that quote really spoke to me because my book is as much about loss, the, chi- uh, the loss of a happy childhood as it is about confronting patriarchy and abuse and all the other things that the adult Tara faces. Tara as a child, you know, the book opens with my protagonist Tara on a train to her hometown, Mangalore. She's with her parents, but eventually her parents leave her behind with her grandparents and a schizophrenic uncle, uh, but they take her baby brother with them to make a new life for the family in Dubai. And this sense of loss of a happy family, of you know, her, her concept of family, father, mother, brother, and herself. And that's lost, that's broken, that's shattered. And so, you know, it's this sense of loss, it stays with her all her life. And of course, the uncle who is a father figure to her 
he falls victim to the voices in his head. He's a schizophrenic. And then he starts to target her. And so in order to avoid him, she stays closeted in her room upstairs. And that's where she spends seven years of her life until she's 13. And that is, you know, affects her very, very deeply and um, is responsible for the Tara, the adult Tara that we see, who is, you know, who lacks self-esteem, who is very fearful, who, who is very unsure of what she wants in her life. And all that has to do with the deep-rooted fears, the sense of loss and the deep-rooted fears of abandonment that she has. Just what is the underlying message of Purple Lotus? Well, the underlying message is of hope. It's, you know, never too late to start living your life. Live your life to the full. Don't just exist. Even if you feel vulnerable or fearful and like you have a little control over your life, you know, there's still hope that things will change, that you can change your life. And even if you cannot, you know, there are a lot of immigrant women who are not able to, who do not have the same choices that other women have. Even if they're trapped in a bad situation, they may not have the same choices. So the underlying message uh, of Purple Lotus is that even if you're in a bad situation and you cannot change your situation or reach out for help, you're not comfortable reaching out for help, you can always, you know, believe in your own worth. Work at believing in your own worth. And I think that's at the bottom of everything. I loved the quote on the back of the book that was, let's see, the dazzling tale of an Indian American woman finding her way through the labyrinth of tradition, tradition to self-awareness in the modern world. That was from author Elaine Neal Orr, who wrote that. That was so appealing. That summarized things, I thought, so well, because it's... First of all, the journey, Tara's journey from that insecure young girl who suffered from abandonment, of course, you know, under the circumstances, but managed to find herself in a room with books to, that would open up her imagination and lead her to do some other things to use those skills later in her life. You've mentioned that women empowering other women is an important theme in your book. Well, you know, when I first, I've lived in Atlanta for 20 years. I'm also an immigrant from India. You know, when I first moved here, I was fortunate to meet some wonderful women who have been my support system, who have been uh, my rocks through my journey in this country. And a couple of them, a couple of the uh, Southern characters in my book, Ruth and Dottie, they're based on my own friends who are my rock stars. They're based on my friends, Francis West and Nancy Hayden. Nancy just passed away, but Francis is 99 years old. And I acknowledge them in the acknowledgements. So they have been my rocks. And I don't think my life would have been the same if I had not met this incredible women. And not just these two women, there have been several others. And this is something I wanted to explore in the book, you know, women empowering other women. There's so much strong sisterhood can do for each other, you know, to lead more fuller lives, to, you know, to improve our lives. One of the things that has fascinated me that you've overcome clearly to leave a patriarchal society 
in India, far more, more, much more tradition and the whole concept of arranged marriages. And that was certainly brought out with Tara's marriage. But so many Indian American women, I'm sure, go through the same transition. It's a difficult, it seems to me, I don't want to project, but it seems to me that it would be very challenging to leave one culture and come into this other culture that's far more permissive and more liberal. Yes. So I grew up in a community where we were not encouraged to question beliefs. You know, we grew up accepting that traditions are there for a reason. They're time honored. So you just blindly follow them. Right. But not all traditions are good for you. There are some great traditions. We just celebrated Diwali, and I love Diwali, the festival of the Indian festival of lights. But there are some traditions that hold you back, that prevent you from living a full life. And they are the traditions that you need to sort of, you know, confront or try to change. And that is what I have tried to do. But as far as change in culture goes, I cannot speak for others, but I have been, you know, I grew up in a very liberal, I mean, it was a very traditional setup at home, but I went to a liberal arts college. I would say that India is changing so much now, and especially in the past 10 years, that the world is flattening. And you see a lot of American culture here and a lot of Indian culture, a lot of Indian culture in America. There's a lot of cultural exchange. But the problem is with a lot of immigrants who've come here in the 60s or 70s who hold on to their old beliefs, to hold, they hold on to their old traditions. And that creates a huge problem for the next generation because um, they, see, they see a more liberal culture outside while the culture at home is so restrictive. No dating, for instance, or arranged marriage, for instance. You know, that's something, you know, a second generation American would understand. And that is where the friction starts. So, but, but you know, each time I go to India, I'm shocked because it has changed. The culture there has changed so much. I saw the same over just a few years traveling from one year to another year. And it's a huge change every time I go there. It's pretty shocking sometimes. I want to shift gears just a little and talk about the symbolism that the purple lotus represents. Let me go back a little and talk about me starting to write purple lotus. Yes. Um, I sat in front of a blank page and the first two words I typed was purple lotus. So why purple lotus? Somebody asked me recently. Because, you know, the lotus is such a beautiful symbol of rising above one's circumstance, right? which is what Tara does. The lotus grows in murky waters, in dirty, stagnant water, but it is unblemished. It grows so beautiful and pure. It rises toward the sun. And that is the trajectory of Tara's story. And also the purple-colored lotus, it is a symbol of awakening of the self, which is also you know, what Tara goes through towards the end of the book. And that is the symbolism of purple lotus. I, I love that. I love the, the imagery. It, and it, a lotus is a beautiful flower. 
I didn't know about all of the the nuance, the symbolism. And I think that's amazing that you started your book with that, those (laughs) two words. Well, I didn't have a story back then. You know, I probably knew the trajectory of the story, but I did not have a story. So that's something I developed as I wrote Purple Lotus. What about your writer's process, your writing process? How how do you talk? Let's talk about how you write. Yeah. Everybody wants to know, how did you write that? How do you, do you, you know, everyone has a different question about, do you sit there every day? Do you? Do you write for eight hours a day? Do you, you know, everyone thinks that there's a magic bullet, but I think every writer is different. You know, I have a day job that keeps me very busy. But when I'm writing, I usually devote a couple of hours in the afternoon or a couple of hours or and a couple of hours late in the night. And that's when I do most of my writing. But I usually create the scenes during long walks while I'm meditating or when I'm in my shower or when I'm cooking or doing anything mechanical. So that's when I see the scenes and I follow my characters and let them lead me into their lives. Of course, I'm I'm also a big believer in editing. I go back and I edit. The very next day, I write a couple of pages and then the next day I go back and edit that on those two uh, pages until it's completely polished and I'm satisfied with the outcome. So uh, yeah, I think no draft is perfect in the first instance. You have to keep polishing your draft. I agree completely. And it takes a long time. And in the case of my first, in the case of Purple Lord, it took 10 years. (laughs) It takes as long as it takes and it's so yeah. beautifully written, you know, the, it continues to, in a way, haunt me, the story, and also uh, encourages me to see just how how strong Tara became and, and the things that she had to overcome. You mentioned Atlanta and the South. and How do you feel like that influenced Purple Lotus? You know, I have lived in the South for 20 years. And I think Purple Lotus is rooted in the South, and it is a Southern novel. There are a couple of that are Southern. There's a lot of Southern culture. There's a lot of Southern food, uh, Southern dialect, customs, culture, festivals. And would I have written this novel had I lived elsewhere? Probably. I would have written about the overarching themes of patriarchy and mental health and uh, abuse, but it wouldn't have had the same flavor, right? So this is my truth. I I have lived here for 20 years, and this is my truth. I don't think I would have, I would, you know, somebody asked me recently on a panel whether I would consider basing my story or setting my story Elsewhere in the world, probably not, probably not, because this is my truth, especially, you know, I'm working on my second novel, which is set in rural Georgia, and you'll get to see a lot more Southern culture there. So this is what I feel most comfortable writing. Having grown up in the South, 
with a very traditional family. I oh. I appreciate everything that you that you wrote too. You mentioned the bravest thing that you put into words in Purple Lotus. Are you comfortable talking about that? Yes. Well, it wasn't really very brave, I would say. I'm working on my second book has more issues that I touch upon that I should be worried about. Having said that, I must add that questioning the belief systems that I grew up with wasn't very easy, especially since I was the timid, obedient child of the family. I grew up in a community where we were not encouraged to question beliefs. We, were, we grew up accepting that a wife who is in an abusive situation just has one option. Try harder. Try harder to make your marriage work or just make peace with your circumstances. And I'm sure that has changed now. I have not lived in India for 20 years. But divorcee or single woman, they're still labels. And as long as there are labels, uh, there's some stigma around it. And uh, I hope we can have, the whole point of my book is to have healthy conversations around these, these topics. Which I think is fantastic. And no wonder you won all the prizes and, and received all of the, the recognition. I mean, Newsweek magazine wrote about you, a moving portrayal of one woman's journey from India to the American South in an arranged marriage. Rao's resonant novel is an ode to the value of personal dignity and the importance of being true to oneself that carries on long after the final chapter. It's absolutely true. It's a a wonderful quote. Kind of recognition is is huge. It is, especially for a first-time author with no... (laughs) And it's, no it's wonderful that Kirkus Reviews said a moving and polished novel that highlights Rao's literary promise. Well, I think that's fantastic to have Kirkus Reviews mention you in such positive light. The recognition that you're receiving from national publications is fabulous. Thank you know, you. Ms. Magazine said touching on themes of abandonment, victimization, and tradition, this novel is one of beauty and intimacy. Well, these are all just, to me, fantastic, just fantastic kudos to you for your talent, your skill, and maybe a first novel, but, you know, those 10 years of writing yes. paid off beautifully. It paid off beautifully. Yes, yes. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful to my wonderful publisher, she writes press and also my publicity team, Book Sparks, have been wonderful to me. And if I recall correctly, your publicity was part of the package of your publishing deal? Yeah. Yes, my oh. publicity was part of which is a huge deal for any author. Yes. Not just a first-time author, any author. So that was wonderful. Oh, it's fantastic. That that is because traditional publishers are not marketing. Or publicizing authors' books. Now it's really up to the author to do that. So when you go from being writer, editor to marketer, I mean, it's changing hats completely and mm-hmm. not, not everyone is equipped to do the yes. marketing. It's yes. a very different mindset. Exactly. Yes. And there's so much I've learned about marketing, although having book sparks 
on my team. It was a huge uh, boost for me as an author. But I've also had to learn about marketing. And it's it was an eye-opener. There was so much I had to learn. I've, and I learned in the past year about marketing, about putting myself out there, getting on panels, doing interviews, pitching to publications. It's a whole different ballgame. How did it feel to you to put yourself out in that way, to do the pitching? It was hard. It was hard. It was very, very difficult because, you know, none of us, I think a lot of authors are introverted. We're not used to putting ourselves out there. We're not used to bragging, uh, talking about our books. But all that has changed in the past year. You know, I told myself if I could spend 10 years writing, then I should be spending a year promoting it. There's no shame in that. No, not at all. In fact, you know, uh, <laughs> if, if it's a fact, you can brag about it. You certainly can spend a good deal of time talking about what you've accomplished because it's really phenomenal. And I'm just really, I'm thrilled for you. I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. Do you, I read a, another article that I thought was just really pretty wonderful. And that was, it was in in the Mangalorean. Oh, okay. Yes. And it was breaking stereotypes, what a strong heroine should look like. And you talked about the immigrant fiction, but the recognition you're receiving in your home country is pretty wonderful too. Yes. Yes. Although, you know, I must say that my book is only available as an imported book on Amazon expensive for most Indians to buy. You know, I'm just very, very grateful that it has reached so many people, even in my home country, and continues to reach many people. And I've had all this wonderful publicity from back there. And despite talking about breaking tradition and convention and all that, you know, the response has been largely positive, even from my own community, very conservative community. I was wondering how that worked with your your family and in that community in which you yes. grew up. My, and my mother, uh, even though she's a very traditional woman, uh, she's very, very, very proud of me. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and she read the book. She with... read the book page to page. Um, wow. And, and proud. proud with good reason. <laughs> Are there any questions that you that I have not asked you that you might want to to discuss? Well, no, not really. I think we've touched upon everything. We've touched upon everything. Well, first, I want to say thank you so much for this wonderful time together talking about your writing and Purple Lotus and the cover design, I think, is is just spectacular. It it is spectacular. Absolutely Um, beautiful. And also, I want to make sure that people know where to find, just where they can find your novel, where where they can find you, your website, and NRI Pulse. I'll put this all in the show notes, but please do, you know, let us know in the podcast sure. as well. Sure. Well, um, my website is venaspulse.com, V-E-E-N-A-S-P-U-L-S-E.com. That's my website. And I'm also very active on social media. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I think, yes, that's it. And YouTube. I have a YouTube channel as well. Excellent. Um, Yes. And the newspaper I run, 
It's called NRI Pulse, N-R-I-P-U-L-S-E dot com. And I would highly recommend people take a look because it's really fascinating. Thank you. Do you have your favorite Indian writers that have influenced you? The ones that have influenced me are not necessarily Indian. I would say the author of The Kite Run, which is a huge, huge mega success. I had stopped reading fiction because I was so consumed with running my newspaper. A friend of mine gave me a copy of The Kite Runner, and I was so fascinated with the book. I, I loved it. And then I went looking for his Husseini's second book, which is called A Thousand Splendid Sons. And I fell in love with the two female protagonists, Mariam and and these two women, they motivated me to write Purple Lotus. Uh, so the credit for writing Purple Lotus goes to Khalid Hosseini. <laughs> it's been wonderful talking with you. Where can people buy your books? Where can they find them? Oh, yes. My books are available on Amazon and wherever else books are sold. And I've also put up the links to uh, the book sites on my website, venuspulse.com. And of course, Purple Lotus is available at independent bookstores. And that, I think, should be the first choice of us people. because We all need to promote independent and support independent bookstores. I just want to say thank you and well done on a beautiful book. I look forward to seeing your progress and talking with you and knowing what you're doing, not only with the newsletter, but writing, you know, taking the time for creative writing as well. I really admire that and love the theme of your book. As I said, love the way that you tie things up so beautifully. Thank you for having me. You know, Bollywood and books are two of my favorite things. Thanks to Glasgow resident Jonathan Chapman, classically trained musician, artist, website designer, and a really great guy who introduced me to Edinburgh-based Red Note Ensemble and their album, Reels to Ragas, whose music you're listening to with renowned tabla player Kuljit Bamra. For more information, see the show notes at bollywoodandbooks.com where East truly meets West. 